Good evening, Nerd Forensics fans. Tonight we are recording from our home, and we have wood panels on the walls, a nice roaring fire. No power in this room, but we're making it work. We're pretending it's a cabin. Mm-hmm. We're only eating food that we have handled ourselves, and we're checking everybody's blood every day to make sure that none of us get the Wilford Brimley disease. And no, I'm not talking about diabetes. Cue intro. <laughs> Millicent Oriana, culture expert. While seeking to unlock the secrets of all fandoms, she is exposed to an overload of every aspect of pop culture. Now, when asked a question about a piece of popular culture, she becomes curious. Now hosting a podcast and joined by amazing guests, she seeks to find answers and find a way to live off her talents and to make a fun podcast. Don't make me ask questions, Mr. Owl. Because the first one's going to be about why that little kid in the woods was naked. Why was that kid naked? I don't know. It's <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> we should start it there. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. This is Nerd Forensics, and today we're going to be doing an episode about comfort shows. Uh, this is going to be our holiday special, and uh, we also have a Christmas special coming out, but there's more than one holiday this month and more than one holiday this season. So, you know, welcome to our non-denominational holiday fun fest. Yeah, a lot of people celebrate different things this time of year. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about our comfort shows. And uh, essentially what a comfort show is to me is anything that I watch when I'm having like a rough day or I'm feeling down or I just need something to brighten my spirits up. And, uh, you know, drugs aren't always the solution. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd agree with that state, that sentiment about a comfort show. You know, it's a, it, it's a comfortable world that you can drop into where you know all the characters and you know all the rules to it. And Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. All of life's problems can be solved in like 30 to 45 minutes. Are you saying that it's a place where everybody knows your name? It is a place where everybody knows your name. But that's not on on here tonight. No, but you're going to be talking about a show that was created by the same creators. So I am. I thought I'd throw out that little Cheers reference for uh, our few listeners who watch Cheers. Eh, there might be more overlap than you think. Are you talking about the older people who started listening? I'm talking about the younger older people, too, and the older younger people, and the people that just watch Cheers. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about starting up Cheers myself, actually. But I just haven't done it yet. That's all right. It's about a retired baseball umpire who's or retired, yeah, umpire who starts up a bar. Yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those whole like uh, I can watch this and turn my brain off shows. Kind of like Taxi. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like Taxi. You know, the classic sitcom. And Ted Danson's wonderful and everything. Yeah. Is Ted, Ted Danson the, the dumb guy in Taxi? No, no, no. Ted Danson's the guy from Cheers. You know, oh, okay. the yeah, yeah. The time knife. Yeah, yeah. The time knife. We've all seen it. Let's get back on track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In The Good Place, which honestly, I would definitely recommend The Good Place. I really did enjoy that show. Ooh, so you need to finish up Fargo. He's in season two of Fargo. Okay. I really finish good. Fargo. That's so good. I know. But All right, but that's not what we're talking about tonight, so... Let's get back on track. I guess I will go first and uh, whip one out. What do you think you're doing, Snake? My first one, of course, is going to be my top pick for when I'm feeling down and out, and that's Bob's Burgers. I tend to watch it when I'm feeling extremely, like, you know, low or whatever. It always tends to pick me up, especially... Uh, I really like that episode... Uh, Bob Belcher and the no good, horrible, very bad kids. The one where uh, the restaurant burns down. Yeah, yeah. That one is a really good episode. Oh, yeah. It's not my fault. It's all you, goes fault, even though he didn't want to mention it. It's not our fault. I mean, the stuff we did didn't help. Yeah, yeah. That one's amazing. I love that one. All right, so the creators are Lauren Bucard, Jim Dautrieve. It was made by Milo Productions and Buck and Millie Productions, as well as 20th Century Animation. Uh, it started in 2011. It's still on today. Um, little background on Jim Dautrieve and Lauren Bucard. Lauren Bucard uh, was the creator of Home Movies with Brendan Small, 
way back in the day. Oh, awesome. And uh, Jim Dotrieve was one of the writers for American Dad and The Simpsons and King of the Hill. And Is he the build? He's who Bill is named after. Uh, Bill is uh, voiced by uh, Stephen Root. But Stephen Root is amazing in everything he shows up in. He's the blind guy from Oh Brother Art, though. Tell me about him. I don't precisely recollect him. I don't know. My daddy spanked me every day from when I was nine till I was 16, and I turned out okay. Bastard. He's also in Get Out. And uh, Office Space. Yeah, that's actually probably where most people are going to recognize him from. He's a stapler guy in office Who's space. Who's stapler guy? Yeah, Milton. Yeah, Milton. But I said, I, I don't care if they lay me off either, because I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then, then, I, then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. All right. Ah! So, Sorry, Nerd Forensics Cat was pawing at me through the tablecloth. Yes, Nerd Forensics Cat. He's like that cat. If anybody's ever read that letter from that Japanese emperor where he's bragging about how awesome his cat is for being like every other cat in the world. So a fat, lazy sack of nothing. Well, he's not fat. He's just lazy. All cats are inherently fat. (laughs) Not yet, but he will be one day. (laughs) Even the skinniest cats, they're still fat (laughs) because cats are fat. That's not body shaming cats. I love them, but you have to understand that they manipulate you. They do. He just stepped on my foot, and I'm supposed to act like that's impressive. Yeah. It was. Come here, buddy. And he's gone. All right. So now we're going to move on to Jacob. So the first thing I got jotted down here is a series called The Community. Give me some rope, time and dream. Um, it aired from September 17th, 2009 to June 2nd, 2015. It was 110 episodes over six seasons, and it was created by Dan Harmon, who is probably more well-known for Rick and Morty at this point. But I would definitely argue that The Community is a superior series, in my opinion. By far. I thought uh, it was just Community. No, it's The Community. Oh. You know, and it, it starred uh, Joel McHale, Jillian Jacobs, Danny Pudi, Allison Bree, Donald Glover, Yvette Nicole Brown, Ken Jong, Jim Rash, and Chevy Chase. Basically, the basic premise of it is that Joel McHale's character was uh, practicing law with a fraudulent degree, so he had to go to get a law degree at a community college, which is fucking insane, because I don't think you're allowed to practice law with a community college degree. Uh, yeah, you can. Really? Yeah, a lot of people won't take you seriously as a lawyer, but you could. Oh, I didn't know. I, I've never looked. I didn't know if CNM offers know. law classes. I don't think to be CNM honest. does. They would have to offer a law degree, too, though. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I bet like some weird, like, Cayman Islands Community College kind of thing would do that, though. Well, I know you have to be approved by, like, the bar because you have to, like. Yeah, you actually have to be able to practice law. Oops, shouldn't have this bar association logo here either. Okay, to be fair, though, it was also. Uh, Greendale was supposed to be in Colorado. It was supposed to be in Colorado. And. I believe that Colorado might actually be pretty easy about that. I also want to say that Colorado is one of those states where you don't actually have to have a bar. Oh, it used to be a long time ago, but not anymore. Yeah. And also, every state has different standards for their bar degree in the United States. Yeah, every state does. But Alaska, I think, was one of the last states that um, let you take the bar with uh, no law degree. Which is BS. I think if you have a test, you should let anybody take it. But Honestly, I agree with you in this sentiment. If, it, if it's just a test, yeah, anybody should be able to take it. I think it's because of the fact that there were those lawyers that knew they were going to lose their case. So they were like, oh, I'll just get really plastered and get a mistrial. Oh, that still totally happens, though. Yeah, but like most lawyers actually know the consequences of it, though, at least. Yeah, that is true. But just add that to the bar. Yeah, no, no, you definitely have to be like, you have to be a competent lawyer to actually pass the bar, but anybody should be able to take it. Like, I've, I've uh, studied for the LSATs just for fun, and it's like, 
Just the LSATs themselves, you have to know logic kind of backward and forward. Yeah. yeah true. Well, that's the whole point of being a lawyer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's fun. It's it's interesting because the LSATs are a lot of questions like, Dan is taller than Steve. Steve is shorter than uh, Mikey. Mikey and Dan are taller than Kevin. How tall is Kevin according to Steve? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of words things oh yeah or like um like steven and allison like you know that exactly yeah but a lot of logic puzzles i'm not a lawyer and i don't claim to be i claim to be a doctor sometimes you're from the country though aren't you not a city lawyer well you see i ain't some fancy pants city lawyer who done his book reading <laughs> and gone to a university y'all i'm not some slick big city lawyer like my opponent here McCurk! Yeah, basically the community is about uh, Joel McHale's character, Jeff Winger, trying to get his law degree. He starts a fictitious study group because he finds one of the girls hot and he wants to bang her. Spanish, right? Yeah, Spanish study group because they're both all in Spanish class because they need a language credit. Um, and then it spirals into being a real one, right? Oh, sorry. No, I'm getting ahead of you. I mean, spiral is a good term for the show because it gets... Uh, you have been sexually harassing me since the very first day of class. Sexually harassing? What? That makes no sense to me. Why would I harass somebody who turns me on? Saying she turns you on is the harassment, dude. I'm a prominent business leader and a highly sought-after dinner guest, and I will not take courting advice from some teenage boy. <laughs> well, this teenage boy is a quarterback and a prom king. You're not prom king anymore, Troy. This isn't Riverside High. How'd you know I went there? This you're still wearing your stupid letter jacket. And more importantly, I sat behind you in algebra. Well, you're that girl that got hooked on pills and then dropped out. <laughs> you're little Annie Adderall. Yes, and you're a stupid jock who lost his scholarship by dislocating both shoulders in a keg stand. Keg flip. They're very hard to pull don't off. Don't talk to me. You don't know. You I'm, don't a, know I'm a legend. I would say the first season follows a lot of basic sitcom tropes. And then from there on, due to uh, issues with the staff and uh, production and ratings, it kind of goes into this crazy madness of Dan Harmon trying to express himself and not die, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear Chevy Chase is a charm to work with. Oh, God. Yeah. Everything I've heard about Chevy Chase makes me think he's a great human being. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he just say the N-word on set, apparently. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, no, okay, he was freaking out. He was freaking out, and apparently he was just saying it around Donald Glover and Yvette Nicole Brown. He's, like, making a point of, Ah, oh, isn't it so funny? I'm a racist. That's but a, you still can't just do that. Well, that's, I feel like that's even worse. If that's like just... hitting yourself in the dick with a hammer because you're mad at the hammer. Exactly. <laughs> now, what I would say about the show, uh, you know, it definitely, you know, there's paintball wars and the chicken finger mafia and a bunch of other crazy shit that happens. And, you know, it's pretty, it's somewhat surrealist to a degree, which definitely appeals to my sense of humor. It's farcical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're definitely making fun of a lot of sitcom tropes throughout the entire series. And it's also kind of a love letter to classic sitcom tropes, too. And then on a personal note, one of the reasons why I connected to it was like uh, it actually did help me feel the confidence again to re-enroll in college initially. Oh, nice. So because it, uh, it came out, you know, it, early in the 2000s or later in the 2000s. But, uh, and that's about the time I was getting to be college age. And, you know, I, I still haven't, uh, mastered anything in college pursuits yet, but I'm working on it still. Yeah, well, our government, governor made a college a lot more affordable. Yeah, definitely a lot of things have been happening that make it a lot better to, uh, go back. Yeah, re-enroll, especially for a U.S. citizen where, you know, it's not free. Yeah, uh, I mean, I love, you know, the characters of Troy and Abed in it, the meta story structuring. Yeah, uh, there's some pretty great episodes. Uh, if I had to pick any out in particular, there's the Conspiracy Theories and Interior Design episode, which uh, Jeff invents a fake class uh, about <laughs> conspiracy theories. The documentary filmmaking redo is really good because that's the one with uh, Luis Guzman and it's making fun of a, the Apocalypse Now documentary. Yeah, Heart of Darkness. That one's really great. I was I was explaining to Sophia 
who Alejandro Hordodovsky is and why that episode about Abed making his movie about Abed is so funny. Yeah. And his reaction to it when he's like, this is the most juvenile piece of crap I've ever seen. <laughs> like, yeah. That's how I've always felt with El Topo and Santa Sangre and all of that dude's other movies. It's the most juvenile, self-indulgent crap. And what makes it that? Um, all of his movies are about Jesus and about how he's Jesus. But he's Jesus with a camera. But he's Jesus with a camera. So he's Kanye, but a film dude? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh... We do not support Kanye West. No, no. Forensics. No, no. I don't think we support that other dude either. No, we don't. We don't. We don't support him either. Yeah, but just with Kanye losing his mind and anti-Semitism on the rise. Yeah, anti-Semitism on the rise, which I feel like I've definitely gone on the record a number of times saying I'm against. Yeah, I'm against it. I I used to like Through the Wire. Now I just kind of wish that Kanye's head had just like gotten smashed into pieces. I mean, here's the thing. I do kind of wonder how much that car crash affected him. I do too, but here's the thing. Okay, Tracy Morgan was somebody who wasn't stable to start with and had a way worse brain injury. And yeah, he said some dumb shit, but he's always gone on record being like, I said some dumb shit afterward. He's always been like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, no, we talked about this earlier where just because somebody has like a mental disorder or a head injury and, you know, I've known plenty of people who were bipolar that just never went on to anti-Semitic rants. Oh, yeah. When they weren't medicated. Like, that's never been a part. So that was there in Kanye before this. Oh, yeah. But again, even if it's just your head injury doing it to you. I mean, Tracy Morgan always jumped, like, right away. It was like, yeah, that was stupid. Like, afterwards, like, he always, like, when he scared the crap out of that woman in that car crash and got out of the car and started screaming at her and stuff, when he said that uh, that thing about having a son who was gay and how he'd, like, beat him or whatever, and he was like, yeah, that was really stupid. I have a brain injury. They did that 30 Rock about it. Yeah. Yeah, they did a little 30 Rock about that, yeah. So that's our uh, take on Kanye, apparently. Yeah, that's our take on Kanye. Uh, Sophia, what's your <laughs> what's your comfort show? So the comfort show I'm going to bring up first is Peep Show. It was a show created by Andrew O'Connor and Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, and it was starring uh, the a duo, David Mitchell and Robert Webb from the Mitchell and Webb look. And it ran from 2003 to 2015. Uh, there was a couple of breaks between them. Like, I think there was two years between the last two seasons. But um, but anyway, so it's a show. Uh, it's called Peep Show because you peep through the eyes of the characters. It's told through the eyes of uh, usually the main two characters, and it only shows their two thoughts. But the camera can be any character. So sometimes it'll be like a little kid looking over at them on the bus, and then they'll look through the kid's eyes to be the camera and stuff like that. Yeah, the, the whole show shot from a point of view angle. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And um, it's so good. It's If you've always seen... If you've ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, which is kind of like one of those shows where everybody's reprehensible. It kind of reminds me of those like French uh, comedies from like the 1500s where everybody was just like all fucked up and like, you know. It was the ba- worst. Yeah, it's basically the Canterbury Tales. But like, for example, I mean, there's kidnappings in the show. There's, um, I mean, there's a really memorable moment where um, they, they uh, are, I can't remember what leads up to it uh, exactly right now, but they, they're spying on the love interest of one of the characters and she shoots them with a pellet gun which apparently is legal in England um, cool no I know I mean there's a character where they have a gun the whole episode which turns out to be decommissioned at the end everyone's out might sneak a little peek at the gun it's fine to be fascinated by the gun it's fascinating everything that can kill a man is fascinating guns electric chairs paracetamol lead piping hello mark Oh, hi, Jez. Uh, I was just, you know, making sure it was safe. Gunny, the gun. You like it, Mark. That's fine. You like the gun. Guns are great. Design classics like the Rootmaster bus or those chairs. Yeah, it's, it's fine to like it as an object, isn't it? I might carry it around the flat for a bit. Would that be okay? Sure, man. Enjoy. Oh, this is good. 
This feels so good. Give us a go with Gunny. Um... Oh, come on, my turn with Gunny. Now pass me the Doritos or I'll blow my brains out. Which also has a <laughs> whole uh, powerful message, not a powerful per se message, but a, like a whole very on point message about how um, uh, toxic masculinity can make people think that they haven't been sexually assaulted. And also I love how they get corrupted towards the end. Like at first they're both like, like Mark's just awkward and uh, Jez is just kind of full of himself. But by the end, they're both kind of, I mean, Jez not so much, but Mark is basically full on evil. Jez is uh, full on just like, like selfish broken. and selfish and broken. And like Mark's destroyed more lives than one during this whole uh, series, just like they, you know, they do in that other show. Um, but I recommend it. It's, uh, you know, uh, BBC episodes are like 25 minutes or whatever. Um, BBC half hours. But um, yeah, peep show. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely watched a few episodes with you. Uh, I'd seen bits and pieces of uh, Miller and Webb before. No, Mitchell and Webb. Mitchell and Webb. I've, I've seen bits and pieces of Mitchell and Webb before, um, and I've found those to be honey like funny, especially like the whole, are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? <laughs> That's probably the one most people are going to recognize yeah. off the bat. Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit. They've got skulls on them. <laughs> have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? I, I don't, so... Hands. Are we the baddies? Uh, yeah, we actually used that sample in an episode of Nerd Friends. Oh, yeah, we did use that. Um, but yeah, I, I love their whole Sherlock... Or the drunk Sherlock Holmes thing where they're like oh. homeless guy. Oh, Digby Chicken Caesar. <laughs> On a lonely planet, spinning its way to damnation amid the fear and despair of a broken human race, who is left to fight for all that is good and pure and gets you smashed for under a fiver? Yes, it's the surprising adventures of me, Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Yeah. Oh, he's the best. Um, and then, I mean, within Peep Show, definitely it's uh, more organized because it's uh, focusing on two central characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also just the shooting style. Like, you, there's no room for improvisa um, improvisation, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's a really good show. It's put together really well. It's so good. All the characters are amazing. Like, personally, Johnson is my absolute favorite character of that show. Pretty good numbers. Nailed a lot of the key players. Liam Kendrick in the house. Hey! So, you, you still pissed off with Big Sue's? What? Fuck you. Why would I even be? What a stupid thing to say, Mark. Sorry. If poor little bitch girl wants to have a spoiler party all over my housewarming, why would I even give a shit? Huh? Why? I, I don't know. Me neither. So, let's uh, grab you a cool can of crony and a bag of nuts. Oh, God, yeah, Johnson was amazing. <laughs> All right, so I'll, we'll move on to me now. Uh, my next one up would be uh, Batman the Animated Series. We did a whole episode recently about TAS and the Arkham games and everything, so you all out there in radio land or podcast land or whatever we call it in this century... Um, you know, I love that show. It was made by Paul Dini, Bruce, Tim, and Mitch Bryan. Uh, recently it's actually continued life in a, in a comic series made by the same people as well as with, uh, contributions by, uh, Darwin Cook. Isn't the Harley Quinn show kind of like a soft sequel to, uh, okay. So technically the Dini verse has never ended. Okay. It's just found new life and new things. But uh, technically, Static Shock, Justice League, Teen Titans, uh, Harley Quinn, Young Justice, and uh, Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond. And uh, I want to say I'm missing one in there somewhere. Uh, Batman Superman Adventures, Superman the Animated Series, all linked in one universe. Okay. Static shock. Did I say that already? Yes. Yeah. Okay. In episode 2F9, when Ichi plays Scratchy's xylophone like a skeleton, he strikes the same rib twice in succession, yet he produces two clearly different tones. <laughs> I mean, what are we, to believe that this is some sort of uh, <laughs> a magic xylophone or something? Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Um, yeah. So those, th that's one of my comfort shows, and it's because, I mean, I absolutely love, I love Batman the Animated Series. 
Um, I hopefully will one day be able to replace my entire collection of Kenner Batman toys I had as a kid. But, you know, that's going to take a lot of stupid money. Like, we're saying money just to blow on nothing. And that probably won't ever happen. But I'll get that Batmobile, damn it. And that'll make me whole. I'll be like uh, uh, the, 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 the William Randolph Hearst guy with his sled. Be like that. The Rosebud dude? Yeah. Citizen Kane. Rosebud. Now moving on. Jacob. Well, I was going to say, is there any specific episodes you'd like <laughs> to bring up? Oh. um. Oh, there's so many that stand out to me. But personally, I would have to say I think Feet of Clay is the one that stands out the most to me. That is a really good one. And it's because it handles dysmorphia. It handles addiction. What are you doing? Stop it! Look at the maggot. Look at what you used to be. No. No. Turn them off. You can play those roles again, Hagen. Let me help you find a cure. No! Hagen's gone! Make him stop haunting me! It also handles secrecy. Because in a weird way, I always looked at it like Matt Hagen and his assistant were uh, were lovers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd have to say Feet of Clay would have to be the one that stands out the most in like terms of like best Batman episode. And also, it's definitely a feat of animation. It is. It was also written by Marv Wolfman. Who's the guy that like originally like created like Clayface and uh, apparently had trouble getting his stuff published in the 70s due to the uh, uh, comic authority because his name was Wolfman and werewolves were banned. Interesting. So, yeah, because his name was Wolfman, he had the hardest time getting stuff published. Moving on, we're going to go to Jacob and his second show. Star Trek DS9. forgotten star trek i feel the underrated one yeah definitely the underrated one uh so when i was growing up that's when this one was really on because uh next gen went off the air within like two seasons of this and it first started airing january 3rd 1993 and went on to june 2nd 1999 uh with seven seasons yeah i was gonna say we were like four when next gen ended yeah, so, and I mean, that's the way Star Trek did things in that era, where, uh, because, like, Voyager started, like, one right or two before. seasons right before DS9 ended. Yeah. It was uh, created by Rick Berman, who is a terrible person, and Michael Piller, who I don't know anything about. Yeah, but we all know about Rick Berman. Yeah, we all know about him. I don't. Yeah. Uh... He is basically the reason behind every problematic female scene in Star Trek. That wasn't Gene Roddenberry's fault. That wasn't Gene Roddenberry's <laughs> fault. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't, don't. So, next gen and beyond. <laughs> don't wash Gene Roddenberry's hands in this either. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry wasn't exactly a saint. But I do love me some Star Trek. It, it, you know, the, the whole hope of a socialist utopia. So what makes DS9 different from any other Star Trek is that it's set on a space station. Uh, and it's set during a war that's going on. Well, okay. The war, they find a wormhole. Uh, the, the space station is located outside a planet named Bajor, which was under Cardassian occupation, who were alien lizards. They're lizard people, I guess, is the easiest way to describe them. Who are hard to tell apart. Yeah, they're hard to tell apart. Uh, so, you know, kind of racist. Yeah, and then a wormhole opens up, which the Bajoran gods live inside of, and the wormhole leads to the Gamma Quadrant, and there's this whole faction called the Dominion over there, and they don't like Alpha Quadrant people heading over, so they basically declare war on the Alpha Quadrant. Like you do. Like you do. So, most of the series takes place, uh, on the space station, and it's about the war. 
And that's kind of what separates it from most series of Star Treks, as well as it's like, it's non-episodic. It's a serial. So like past episodes actually matter and have consequences. Because yeah, that kind of happens in the next generation, but like very like loosely. Yeah, very loosely in that. Um, because yeah, there, there are a couple episodes in next gen that like really matter and carry over like uh, Picard being turned into a Borg. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I just remember the one where Picard plays the flute. Yeah, and then, you know, the whole, there are, there are four lights, and there are only three lights, but the dude keeps zapping Picard. Wait, are you talking about, I thought the one way he play, plays the flute was the the one where he, like, planet is dying of a matter of my yeah. own Yeah, yeah. I was saying the one I could remember, and Jacob brought up another one I could remember, where oh. this dude's torturing Picard, and he keeps going, there are four lights. And, and it's only three lights. And that dude was a Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. Was so the Cardassians guy. were already getting up to shit before uh, DS9 even started. Yeah, he's all torturing Picard the whole time. You know, I watched it when I at first when I was a kid, and then I came back to it in my 20s, and, you know, fell in love with the show. It's Honestly, probably the most outwardly leftist Star Trek. Uh, one of the characters, Rom, quotes the Communist Manifesto at one point while he's trying to form a union of other Ferengi workers. Here. Watch this. It's the amount of latinum I'm willing to transfer into your private account. If you'll just end this strike. Are we talking about slips, strips, or bars? Slips. All right, strips. It wouldn't matter if it were bars. I'm not going to end a strike unless you meet our demands. Mom, we shouldn't be fighting. We're brothers. Not when it comes to business. We're nothing but an employer and employee. You've said so yourself. I was wrong. No. You weren't. Rom, can we talk about this? There's only one thing I have to say to you. Workers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. What's happened to you? Basically, uh, Garrick is also like the best character in all of Star Trek. He's a Cardassian spy whose allegiance you don't really know where he lies. And that morally ambiguous character is really great for Star Trek. It really is. Um, if there was any one episode uh, I would recommend, it's season six, episode 19, In the Pale Moonlight. Uh, and basically about Cisco helping commit war crimes and covering them up. I bribed men to cover the crimes of other men. accessory to murder but the most damning thing of all I think I can live with it and if I had to do it all over again I would Uh, and then there's also a shit ton of torture the Irishman episodes where they just torture O'Brien throughout the entire episode I remember those I also like the one where Cisco like goes into the body of a science fiction writer from the 30s. I like that one quite a bit. Although it is very goofy watching the two Cardassian dudes as cops. Oh, yeah. And just like being like, don't you be making those space stations. Black people don't make space stations. These are white people stations. It's Cardassians. I like the way you describe them, especially the neck ridges. I'm going to do some sketches where I take a look at. Make a nice cover. Don't waste your time. You, get back to work. Ray, we missed you too, Roy. Douglas, you're not going to stand there and tell us you don't like this story. Oh, I like it all right. It's good. It's very good. But you know I can't print it. Why not? Oh, come on, Benny. Your hero's a Negro captain. The head of a space station, for Christ's sake. What's wrong with that? People won't accept it. It's not believable. And men from Mars are? Stay out of this, Herb. For all we know, it could cause a race riot. I mean, it was the 90s. It was the 90s, and it was them trying to tackle racism, and it was just kind of goofy looking. Didn't didn't you say you've heard that called rotten berries? 
Yeah, I I I create I coined the term rotten berries, referring to uh, anytime Star Trek like tried, they tried to be like woke and like you know had a black guy and white guy and a white guy and black guy and they're fighting each other and Kirk the whole time is you both look exactly the same. And it is obvious the most simple-minded that Loki is of an inferior breed. The obvious visual evidence, Commissioner, is that he is of the same breed as yourself. Are you blind, Commander Spock? Look at me. Look at me. You're black on one side and white on the other. I am black on the right side. I fail to see the significant difference. Loki is white on the right side. All of his people are white on the right side. It's like, no, they don't. They're clearly two different distinct races of people who you might think they look the same, but they, you, like, that was just a bad episode of Star Trek. Yeah, not its best. Yeah. But I still love Star Trek. I do too. Well, Star Trek's and, great. It's just goofy sometimes, for sure. Yes, but definitely. And, and that's what makes it so great. Is oh no, that yeah, that takes goofy. those. Yeah, that yeah. that it's that it poises itself such such that it can make those um those risks. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah, like racism bad, but white guy trying to say racism bad in the goofiest way ever doesn't deserve our you know ridicule. It is funny. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, you know, it's like if like somebody today was like, I'm going to draw a black hand shaking a white hand, and I'm the first person to ever do that. We'd all laugh at them. And rightly so. <laughs> Sophia, I believe it's your turn. So a show that I watch over and over and over again, like, you know, when I'm sad or whatever, um, I think I've watched this show like multiple times over, just like Peep Show, is one that I mentioned during Peep Show, and it's, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I created about Rob Gellany, uh, Three Arts Entertainment and FX, uh, 2005 to now. Um, it's just about a, a band of three people who own a bar and the fourth person who's definitely part of their group, but she doesn't own anything. So anytime they're about to sell the bar, they leave her high and dry. They're the worst people in the world. One of them's a stalker. One of them's a serial rapist. One of them's a serial manipulator. And another one is that was just sad. A narcissist. And narcissistic. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Mac? Yeah, he's a narcissist. He's a total narcissist. And all of them are narcissists. I'm going to do a yeah, backflip. I'm going to do... Uh, oh, yeah, that's the thing. He, he lives yeah. in a complete delusional world. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also Frank, who is all of the above. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Frank, who finances their plans, played by uh, Danny DeVito. Um, in fact, uh, Being Frank uh, is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, it's just an episode where they... Again, show up from Frank's POV. Oh, yeah. You got a thing going on here, <laughs> Sophia. Yeah. Whoa, start to feel woozy. Say something smart. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. I'm full of dog poison. There are drugs in the medicine cabinet. There's drugs in the medicine cabinet? It's Frankenstein. It's such an amazing episode. Though. It really is, though. It's one of the like, best episodes of the you should series. Play, you should play that clip. But no, Bondi, you have too much to live for. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite episode parts of that episode. Screwed up, Frank. What did you do? Handsy was some pretty young thing. She looked 18 to me. I don't know. I'm out of control. Oh, shit. Pop the glove compartment, Frank. Someone's dying today, baby. No, Pondy! No! Give me that gun. You got too much to live for. You're right, Frank. You're right. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Come here! Come on! I'm coming, Pondy! Eat shit, Daddy! 
is that he goes to the roller rink to pick up girls, and then he's and then he claims that he didn't know that they were going to be thirteen. Or under, well, he, they didn't say thirteen, but it did say underage. underage. So definitely something awful. But he went to the roller rink to pick up girls. Oh, I know. I was just saying that number didn't exist in there. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he, yeah. he did something creepy oh, yeah. as shit. Which I still just love. Yeah, the way Ponderosa grabs the gun afterward, and he's like, he got so much to live for. Yeah. Even though he divorced his wife, his child hates him. Both his other of his kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. One of his kids. Yeah, hates him because he said, I do not love you. The other kid hates him because he tried to feed her an omelet with cocaine and didn't told this eight-year-old girl that she's too fat to be a slut. <laughs> also, his son is his coke dealer. Yeah, his oh, son yeah. is his coke dealer. I mean, Pondy is Pondy's the coolest. Yeah, Pondy is <laughs> the <Pondy>. coolest. It's all right, Pondy. Hop here, Ah, God damn it, Pondy's the coolest. He's not. <laughs> no, nobody should ever live their life like he does. Or <laughs> anybody in that show, to be honest. Does Frankenstein want to come out and play? Except for God. Ben the Soldier. He seems pretty put together. <laughs> okay, yeah, Ben the Soldier, but he's also the most boring milquetoast dude you'd ever meet. Now moving back to me, uh, another one of my comfort shows. And it's funny because I noticed a pattern that every single one of the shows I listed aired on Fox. And we made a joke about that. I grew up in a trailer and none of these are married with children. So I guess I'm doing pretty damn good, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, or cops. Yeah, or cops. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my third King of the Hill. Judge and Greg Daniels and Deedle D Productions, Judgmental Films, Three Arts Entertainment again, and 20th Century Fox again. The years that it was on, that it aired were 1997 to 2010. And for anybody who's not familiar with it, King of the Hill is about a Texas family who has a, you know regular troubles that every American family has. Yeah, kind of just a uh, average suburban life. It's one of the most realistically animated things I've ever like seen. Like the like the magic the magic um like uh, tricks that they do during one of the episodes like magicians say that they actually do everything correctly. Yeah, that episode we actually brought up in our magic episode slide oh, yeah, of pain. Yeah. Yeah, no, like <laughs> honestly the show strives for realism to a degree because that's what it's based in. It's well, that's why Mike Judge show. quit the show actually is the episode where Hank became a pimp. Hank don't. Alabaster's a little guy, but he'll mess you up. No offense, but he's from Oklahoma. Peggy, give me the hat. Jalopy, and let's talk some business. Oh, so you ready to give me my hoe back? She's not going anywhere, chump. But I am a fair businessman, so here's all the money she's given me so far. Man, this feels a little light. You jacking me? I am the Mac Daddy of Heimlich County. I play it straight up, yo. You get the hell out of my hood. She's my hoe now. Which is actually very realistic. The episode's a comedy of errors, and it's a great comedy of errors. It is yeah, but Mike Judge is, like, depressive sometimes. He's he like, is. He's he, depressing sometimes. Well, no, no. He, I, I, feel like, I feel like he gets, like, really depressed, and he's like, everything I did in the last four years sucks. Yeah, it's kind of why Beavis and Butthead ended originally. Well. He kind of just gets down on himself sometimes. I think it's something to do with being an ex, like Generation Xer. I think it's something to do with being from Albuquerque. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's that, that could be it too. Being I from think it's a combination of being a Gen Xer from Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have done it. That would definitely do it to anybody because you got to think about what Albuquerque was like in the 80s. Oh, absolutely. It was probably terrible. Yeah. I remember it being, I remember Albuquerque in the 90s and it was not that great. There are so, bullet holes in everything. Yeah. Like McDonald's, I would always play with the bullet holes in the windows. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of bullet holes in things Not now. nearly as many. No, no. We, we've calmed down in violent crimes, but have definitely skyrocketed in uh, property actually, crimes. In property crimes. Well, actually, because everybody's poor now. Homicides spiked this year. Actually, yeah. Uh, violent crimes have been rising like Homicides pretty steadily the last two year. years. But that doesn't mean we should spend 80% of our city budget on the police. It seems like the, it means we should spend less. Yeah, it seems like crime keeps going up no matter how much we spend on police. So uh, there's clearly a disconnect. It's kind of like we watched uh, the riff. We watched the riff tracks over the top the other night. 
And anybody who's seen Over the Top, there's that scene where that guy is like a Popeye character where he eats a cigar, and then later on he drinks motor oil, and he, he loses. And there's this point when Mike Nelson is like, huh, I'm seeing a connection here. Won his match, didn't drink motor oil. Won his match, didn't drink motor oil. Hmm, there's just something here that I'm not seeing. And same thing with the police and crime. Millie... Are you saying that if we actually address societal problems and then fix them, that we would have less crime instead of just draconian policing? Ha! Gay! We need to give them more tanks. Of course we need to give them more tanks. And guns and grenades and, you know, maybe some RPGs and an ICBM. I say we give every small town police station a nuke. I say we give them those plywood gliders like the like the Luftwaffe had at the end days of World War II. Stock them those with nukes? No, no. We just strapped them all to plywood gliders with V1 rockets. We got Davy Crockett's in the Nuclear History Museum. Oh, I'm saying these rockets just detach before they go into space. Oh, okay. And they just fly these plywood gliders down, and they use those to make arrest and transport themselves and do everything else. And if you're asking how in God's name they're going to pull off an arrest with one of these things, well, that's easy. We're going to give them all sleds to attach to themselves. When they arrest somebody, they throw them in the plywood plane and they carry them back to the station. I see. That sounds exhausting. Good. They'll be too tired <laughs> to do anything else. But we definitely do need people that like maintain law and order oh yeah but here's the thing here's the thing i have absolutely no trouble with people who maintain law and order i'm just saying police in a capitalist system are always going to be primarily invested in defending property even against uh like all that kind of stuff like in any in like and anarchist systems have their own defenders like communist systems have their defenders you know like everybody has their cops like that's just the thing we can't like just get rid of all law enforcement. We have to have somebody like there. Yeah, somebody to has to like, find out who murdered somebody. And, I mean, you know, stop the, the drunks from fighting at the Applebee's. Oh, yeah. The point is, though, that the police as, a, as an organization have only been around since the 1800s. Those bartenders don't get paid enough to stop fights. Yes, and I know if somebody gets a wild hair up their ass about eating me, there is a very thin line of who's going to protect me. I know this, but I really also hate that I have to worry more about being killed by police yes. than I do about the guy who gets a wild hair up his ass about eating me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cops uh, generally... See, some some cops are evil. Not all cops are bad, but all cops are bastards. Exactly. Not all cops are bad, but all cops are bastards. And these are lessons we get from King of the Hill. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, moving on. <laughs> Jacob, go ahead and talk about your slice of Americana or Koreacana or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, my last one here tonight is a special little series called MASH. Oh, is it outdated? Definitely. Do they have very problematic ideals and things they say? Absolutely. But is there some good life lessons and genuine comedy in there? Yeah, I I definitely say so. So MASH aired from September 17th, 1972 to February 28th, 1983. Um, In retrospect, the Korean War lasted from June 25th, 1950 to July 27th, 1953. So MASH was almost on four times longer than the actual war it was based on. (laughs) And the dumb football movie felt like it lasted as long as the Korean War. And it lasted longer than the Confederacy, so it has more of a cultural impact on America. Yes, yes, MASH, the TV series, <laughs> did last longer than the Confederacy. I want to say, uh, I want to say CCR lasted longer than the Confederacy. A lot of things lasted <laughs> longer than the Confederacy. Oh, but CCR had a really short career. They did. They did. But a lot of things lasted longer than the Confederacy. I think Community lasted longer. Technically, it did it because did. it was off the air for a couple of years at, at points. But it got six seasons, so it definitely was in production yeah. Longer than the Confederacy existed. And the movie is confirmed. 
Six seasons and a movie. Everybody's been in school longer than the Confederacy's been around. Yeah. I mean, if you graduated. I mean, usually. And you don't believe in the myth of the Confederacy. Anyways, it was 256 episodes over 11 seasons. It was based on the book MASH, a novel about three army doctors by Richard uh, Hooker. Uh, Following the 1970 film MASH by Robert Altman, it was developed by Larry Gelbert. It was produced by Larry Gelbert, Gene Reynolds, and Burt Metcalf, which they were the team also behind Taxi and uh, Cheers Cheers and a couple of the other big sitcom, like classic sitcoms. Uh, So it was starring Alan Aldo and Wayne Rogers initially uh, with McLean Stevenson. Um... Lorietta Swift stayed on the entire time she was hot lips. McLean Stevenson was the initial commander who left in the third season and he came back or he did, never came back. He, he got screwed because he was supposed to host the Tonight Show. Yeah. Jimmy Carson was going to leave the Tonight Show and then he didn't. Yeah. And Johnny Cart. Yeah. Johnny Car- jo- not Jimmy Carson. <laughs> well, I, I, I want y'all to know tonight I have a really big show. And my sidekick is here, my brother Billy. Look, there, <laughs> there's a weird alternate universe in my head where Jimmy Carter was on The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson was president of the United States. Okay, so the president was getting drunk uh, and fighting good. with his son on your yacht. And Billy Carter was the most wild talk show sidekick to ever exist. <laughs> exactly. I this just... alternate universe exists in my head for some reason. Now imagining fucking Ed McMahon is the one that tries making some stupid deal with the Iranians and Billy Carter instead just does some like violation of the game show act. (laughs) (laughs) Back to starring. It also uh, starred Larry Linville, Gary Berghoff, Mike Farrell, Harry Morgan, Jamie Farr, William Christopher and David Ogden Steers. The series finale, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, was the most-watched broadcast in American history from 1983 to 2010. It was surpassed by the Super Bowl by Super Bowl 44. Um, it still remains the most-watched finale of any television series and the most-watched episode of a scripted series with a viewership of 105.9 million. Damn. Yeah. So, like... It, it, like that that is a record <laughs> yeah so uh the show is about the doctors and nurses and servicemen at the 4077 mash the mobile army surgical hospital and their mission is saving as many lives as they can during the korean war the show teaches them a lot of important life lessons like how it's all right to be afraid and how to be courageous in the face of that fear that poker is a good way to lose a paycheck The standing up for what's right is difficult, but you shouldn't back down. That alcoholism is a perfectly fine way to deal with stress. That racism is abhorrent, and that all peoples of the world can coexist. That most war is avoidable, and it's always the civilians that suffer the most. That it's alright to verbally abuse your colleagues, as long as everyone dislikes them too. That nationalism can be the starting point for later atrocities. That gaslighting people is morally acceptable, as long as you call it a prank, or just revenge. And the most important lesson of all, that all of our problems can be solved in 25 minutes or less, depending on how long our messages from our sponsors are. Like, imagine, like, you hated, like, somebody, and you, like, started, like, biting, like, sponges and stuff, yeah. and then, like, sticking them in, like, baggies in their fridge. Uh, there, <laughs> there's one instance that sticks out in particular where, uh, there... Hawkeye and BJ have a roommate they don't like called Charles. And uh, basically, BJ just starts <laughs> fucking with him one day by uh, giving him clothes that are way too baggy. Um, and he keeps like, oh, you've been losing weight since you got here. You know, you need to eat up and stuff. And like a couple of days later, he switches them out with clothes that are way too tight on him. He's like, oh, you got to start dieting and, you know, you got to, or it's like a month at, later he put, he switched the clothes again. And then, um, later on he said the next thing that's going to happen is that he's going to get taller. What's next with him? Starting tomorrow, he gets taller. <laughs> now the show was kind of put on also as like, in a way, a protest to the Vietnam War. 
Like, that that was a lot because, you know, the Vietnam was going on during the show's airing. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, think about the 80s. Every single... 70s. Well, no, I'm just saying, though, think about the 80s. Every single action hero was an ex-nom dude. Oh, yeah. They were all ex-nom vets. Yeah. They were all (laughs) ex-nom vets. Yeah, so that was what was going on in Um, the 70s. And like I said, you know, there are things that haven't aged well in the show, uh, especially in, like, terms... I, I would definitely advise just skipping, like, a good chunk of the first season. Uh, there's a particularly racistly named character that uh, probably shouldn't have been in the show, and I'm pretty sure one of the writers got fired over. Well, that character was created for the book. Oh, yeah. Which uh, Hooker was a bastard for because, to Hooker's knowledge, there were no black surgeons in the MASH unit whatsoever. Yes. And, I mean, apparently through some extensive research, it was discovered there were two. Yeah, there were, like, two black surgeons during the Korean War that were assigned to a MASH unit. But neither of them threw Javelin in college and got a racist name for it. No. Uh, So, after the first season, the show kind of finds its legs and it gets a lot better. Um, You know, it definitely looks at war as a very serious thing, and we definitely shouldn't, like, do it. Especially as uh, callously as we do sometimes. This isn't a war. It's a murder. This isn't a war, it's a moita. So, uh, I believe I first watched the show when we were still working at the smoke shop off of Central Wyoming. Yeah. I don't want to say the specific name for legal reasons, just in case. Yeah, just in case. Well, legal reason. I don't know. The I owner, don't know. The they're, owner... they're under arrest. They're in prison yeah, right he now. He might get so. out of jail and come after us or something. Yeah. Who knows? I don't want to talk about it. Anyways. Uh, we were located in a part of Albuquerque known as the War Zone, and it felt like kind of a relatable experience when I first started watching it. Uh, you know, it was, uh, never as depressing as working in a restaurant, but, you know, we still had those rough nights of, like, a man wearing nothing but a tarp coming into our store trying to sleep inside. <laughs> God, yeah, I remember that night. I remember and that. And you and me like, dude, you gotta go. Yeah, you're wearing nothing but a tarp. And then him like, why can't I sleep in the entryway? And it's like, because you're going to scare anybody who wants to come in here. And we were still having people come in. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're wearing a fucking tarp. It's not my fault you got so drunk you lost your clothes <laughs> and put on a tarp. Yeah, it was freezing out there. I mean, I feel bad for the man, but we were also, you know, forced to grind under the gears of capitalism. And it was like one of those things where clearly he didn't make the decision to leave home in the tarp. Mm. Somewhere along the way, he screwed up and he lost his clothes. I mean, I remember one time, like, like I, I, I got, I got like a couple of forties and yada yada yada. I lost my shoes and my and my glasses. This man was wearing boxer shorts, socks, and a tarp. <laughs> and he reeked like Listerine. Oh. Listerine? Not even booze. <laughs> no, 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 Listerine. Not creme de menthe? No, it was Listerine. It reeked like Listerine. He, he reeked like Listerine, and he lost all of his clothes and was wearing nothing but a tarp, and it was cold. There was the other night a woman burst into the store screaming, Help, help, they're attacking me. And that was the only night I had to pull my gun on someone because uh, a dude came in after her and I wasn't fucking around because she said that's one of them. And I had to tell the like 20 year old girl I was working with to call the fucking cops. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes to call the cops, but I had my gun aimed at this guy and like, and I'm yelling at her to call the cops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the kind of place we worked at. Oh, also, the bus stop across the street from us had to get ripped out by the city because people kept getting stabbed there. And shot. And And shot or pricked with needles or just all kinds of other effed up shit. Yeah, otherworldly shit. That place was fun. So, yeah, the War Zone was a pretty apt name for it, and I kind of developed a camaraderie with the suffering of the characters on the show. There are any episodes I would recommend. Uh, Life, Season 8, Episode 11, Lifetime. That's the 20-minute episode we all watched where Hawkeye has to save that dude's heart, or he has to compress his heart or else he's going to be paralyzed. Yeah, Yeah, that was the episode we watched. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. That one was really good. 
Uh, the season six, episode 12, The Grim Reaper is really good. That one's about this dude who, like, keeps calculating battlefield, like, casualties, like, down to the number. And, like, it really fucks with Hawkeye. He does not like it. Uh, and then the dude ends up getting wounded himself, which is fun. And then for a comedic episode, season nine, episode 11, No Sweat. Basically, they're just in the middle of summer and nobody can sleep because it's fucking Korea. And they're intense, <laughs> so nobody can sleep. And it's just this really hot, humid, terrible night. And it's actually like one of the more comedic episodes, and it's pretty funny. Courage, Camille. I think I got something for you. This is a brand new, top-secret experimental drug. It keeps the body at a constant, comfortable temperature, no matter what the weather's like. Yeah, give me one. Give me one, and I'll give you anything you want. Just keep it a secret. I'll only take one a day. You don't want to get pneumonia. Thank you. Tell me, Dr. Cronkite, comes winter, do you have something that will keep me warm? Ah, I just gave him a placebo. Really? And it's working already. The cure is of him. And that's what I got to say about MASH. And my last one is a SpongeBob. Oh! Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants! Created by Stephen Hillenberg, rest in peace. Um, by United Plankton Pictures and Nickelodeon Animation Studios. It uh, began in 1999, and it's still running today. Although I didn't watch all of the seasons. And it went off the air for like a good like 10 years. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the while wasn't on. Yeah, yeah, so it's had a complicated production history. But what I really like about it is, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, one, I mean, just uh, me being queer, like, you know, it's kind of fun having SpongeBob totally be like a queer icon. Even before he was like canonically asexual, like everybody like like conservatives never liked SpongeBob because I mean you know I mean he talked like this he like very yeah the voice for some reason just set him off a couple of ice cubes coming up here you go thanks uh. huh <laughs> hmm. <sighs> Do to my drink. I you I you. You what? You asked for a couple of ice cubes in your drink, and I only put in one. I guess that is pretty funny. <laughs> oh yeah, because he, he had a very very femmy kind of voice and attitude and big old eyelashes. That and his best friend was this big pink starfish. Yeah, and like they raised that clam together. That couldn't have like like. I, I, I like the watch, you know, watchdog groups probably didn't like any of that. I was gonna say, fucking 90s conservatives, late 90s, early 2000 conservatives. They're not as bad as the fascists we have now, apparently, but they did suck really hard. I know. It's like, God, can't win for losing, right? Exactly. But yeah, I also really like it because, like, there's a lot of, like, fun, like, a lot of fun, like, marine biology, like, um, things in there. Like, you know, there's the nematodes. Still hungry. 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 Oh, dang, nematodes. And there's like, um, there's like some actual like science fact in the show. Yeah, I also really like the episode where the, the, they drop a pencil from the surface because like one dude did, forgot to bring a spare pencil. Um, well, because he like had no, no pencil sharpener, and then it becomes a creature. And he goes, living doodle yeah the living doodle yeah, i remember the doodle yeah. he was simply a two-dimensional aquatic doodle i mean a two-dimensional doodle caught in a three-dimensional aquatic life so he's a drawing precisely <laughs> see i really love i think my favorite episode of spongebob has to be the one with um where uh mr krabs takes spongebob and patrick to go look for the flying dutchman's treasure <laughs> and it's based on a real treasure map. <laughs> that one is really good. Hey, SpongeBob. Yeah, Patrick. 
Do you notice something weird about this map? The fact that it's our game board just taped to a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, is it? Or what he yeah. says? And is that any of this a problem to either of you gentlemen? <laughs> it's a problem for either of you gentlemen. <laughs> Wait! I'm captain of this crew. Where's my reward? Hmm. I guess you're right. A little something for your trouble. Gold, 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 gold. Huh? It's just a little plastic treasure chest. Plastic! Aye, but it's based on a real treasure chest. <laughs> the one I really remember from like being a kid, uh, again, because, you know, I didn't have cable growing up. My older stepsister would record things for me because she did. So one, like one of the tapes I had was some SpongeBob episodes. And there was one where uh, Squidward was trying to get away from everybody and, like, the meat freezer was, like, a time machine somehow. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, and then it goes forward in time because it freezes them forward in time. Yeah. And then he ha and then in the future they have time travel, so he goes uh, backwards, but he goes too far into the past, and then he goes to nowhere land. Yeah. And I'm all alone. 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 I may finally have found a place where I can be all alone. 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 That's the weirdest thing ever, because that's, like, I want to say that's a reference to the electric company. Like, what, some <laughs> kind of demented reference? Yeah. Cause they like, the electric company in hell? Yeah. But, yeah, I leave it to fucking SpongeBob to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, one episode that did not, like, age well was the, like, okay, most of the episode ages well. Uh, the episode where, um, where, like, I don't know, like, Mr. Krabs is feeling old or whatever. Uh, SpongeBob's boss, and so they take him out on the town, and they go on a panty raid. The what? I said, I guess you're gonna miss the panty raid. Panty raid? Like definitely today, you wouldn't have a panty raid in a children's show. <laughs> you wouldn't have like that. You wouldn't have a panty raid in general. Like, oh, I know, especially in a children's show. Yeah. Like, it, like it was supposed to be like a half ironic thing, but you definitely would not have that even in a children's show today. Yeah, nobody in their right mind would do that today. I also really like the episode where uh, Patrick. Uh, it's like with well, the second episode, I think, but it's where, where like, like there's a bunch of hooks and like they're trying to avoid them, and Patrick starts just eating a bunch of hooks, and he's like, "Does this look dangerous to you?" Oh, also when when SpongeBob is eating, but he eats a really ugly, a really a really uh, gross uh, dessert. It's like a ketchup and onions, and then. Fun. Ketchup and onions and a peanut plant. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a, God, a full that peanut terrible. Plant. Yeah, and then uh, so Patrick tries to cheer SpongeBob up, so he tells him a story. He says, "This is a story called the Ugly Barnacle." And SpongeBob's all, "That didn't help at all." Once there was an ugly barnacle. He was so ugly that everyone died. The end. That didn't help at all. I also really love the one where they're convinced, where Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob are convinced they killed that guy. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I love that yeah. one. And then they bury his corpse, and then they have his corpse with them all the whole time. Yeah. And then like, I did that horrible uh, thing you asked me to do, Mr. Oh my Krabs. god, it's one of the most. Oh my god, it's one of the best episodes. Uh, oh, I also really love the blue blue jellyfish episode where it's yeah. like capitalism shit. Yeah, that one's great. Basically, they exploit blue jellyfish. I'm guessing that's going to wrap it up for our comfort shows today, right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we here at Nerd Forensics wish you a happy holidays. Yes, we do. We wish you all a happy holiday. And uh, I just want you all to know that, uh, you know, take care of yourselves and each other. Um, and, uh, oh, when you go to the bathroom... Don't think about Dreamcatcher, because even Stephen King hates that book. Good night, everybody.